we really do have to ask ourselves why we would do this in the 21st century to an animal that the world is in love with. I mean, my octopus teacher, it's the same species. It's octopus vulgaris. And you have it winning the Academy Award, winning a BAFTA, and then in the same breath, announcing that we're going to put it into mass production. I am I'm just baffled at how this is possible. And the truth is, I, I don't think it is. I, I'm so encouraged by how much resistance there is to this idea. Hello and welcome to the Sentient Media Podcast, where we meet the people who are changing the way we think about and interact with the world around us. Normally with our guests, we talk about a variety of topics or a variety of animals, a variety of experiences. But today we are going to have a special octopus edition uh, with Dr. Jennifer Jacquet. Um, as some of you might already know, the Spanish fishing company Nueva Pescanova has been trying to work on the process of factory farming octopuses. And as far as I know, they've proposed what is the world's first uh, factory farm for octopuses in Gran Canaria, which is a Spanish island off the coast of Northwest Africa. Uh, I actually just spent the last month over there and there's a bit of good news in that there is no construction happening there yet. Um, but a lot of the operation, a lot of the work that's being done is happening in mainland Spain. So I didn't get to see any of that. Um, but today I'm very excited to dive into the reality of what life on an octopus farm might be like, what's driving the demand for octopuses, um, and a little bit more about why it's been so hard to actually successfully farm these animals. Um, so Dr. Jaquette, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, could you start off by perhaps telling us a little bit about your background, like what's got you uh, to this point now where you're researching and, and, and talking um, about octopuses in this situation? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thanks for addressing such an important topic. I completed my PhD with a fisheries biologist named Daniel Polly, who runs this program called The Sea Around Us. And he created a kind of global look at capture fisheries and then from there also built out to aquaculture because it turns out the two are highly interrelated, especially if you farm carnivorous animals they actually put additional pressure on the oceans because we have to catch fish to feed to them. So I completed my PhD with him in 2009 and it was titled Fish as Food in an Age of Globalization. And I think that sort of encapsulates why I'm interested in this particular issue. Because you have a, a global issue, consumers all over the world potentially um, for, for octopuses, especially in luxury markets. And then you have production um, in, in various places. As you say, the main threat appears to be in, in Spain at the moment. But there are other countries right now also working on octopus farming, like Japan and China. And there's a farm um, that isn't a factory farm, but um, more of a ranch in the Yucatan of Mexico. And there was uh, a, an octopus ranch in Hawaii and uh, the United States of America. And so I'm sort of interested in when you have this, you know, kind of production in various places, consumption in other places, and the way that the global markets connect these consumers. And I had no idea, you know, that we would ever dream to farm octopuses since all of the evidence we've been seeing, you know, in the last decades of the YouTube videos and the experiments and, you know, it just 
they're such amazing animals, frankly. It's hard not to look at them and see how incredible they are. I used to show my class, I would start the class every semester with Roger Hanlon's TED Talk, with, which shows how an octopus can blend into its background and this kind of incredible ability that we really fundamentally don't understand. And then one day um, in 2014 or 15, an article came into my sort of like Google alerts or something about octopus farming could be the next big thing. And I thought, what on earth? Why would, why would we do that? And as I started digging in, not only had I found out that there were a lot of people who sort of seemed sympathetic to octopus, Roger Hamlin among them, who had actually published on the potential of aquaculture for these animals, but also that there had been these major government investments. So you'd seen the EU and Brussels really putting money into getting octopus farming off the ground. And as you mentioned in your introduction, there were these technical hurdles to that, and there still are in some cases. You know, it's very hard to close the life cycle, they would say. That's why a lot of these operations are ranches where they gather the juveniles from the wild and then grow them in captivity. But I think we will be able to leap over that technical hurdle. I think there's no doubt that we'll achieve closing the life cycle. And it struck me that the only thing that we needed to be talking about was the ethics, the evidence base for the ethics as well. And the question of whether or not we should be farming octopuses, who it would benefit, who it would, who would pay the, the cost, very much of course the animals themselves among others. Um, and so that, um, that was the impetus. And so we wrote uh, an article in 2019, we got it published, but we've been working on it for years, um, making the case against octopus farming. And as far as you know, thinking about so obviously you touched on these other ranches or, or farms in yucatan and hawaii i knew about those i wasn't aware of um actual ranches in japan or china but as far as you know with nueva pescanova what are the proposals and how far along are they well so just to be clear um we just know that or i i have seen industry say that they've closed the life cycle in Japan, for instance. Um, I don't know that they have any large-scale operations, but that suggests that they have experimental farms, which is really what um, the Yucatan and Hawaii were as well. They were kind of experiments. They weren't the mass production that Gran Canaria is proposing. Um, as for that site and you know, there are people really now working, civil society groups working on preventing this particular farm from getting off the ground who know more about the nitty gritty details than I do. But one hurdle, for instance, is the environmental impact assessment or, or statement um, that has to be completed before the farm can be built. And as I understand it, that is a place in which the farm is still in limbo, that that has not been granted yet. Um, and then I think there are, will be other regulatory hurdles after that, as there are in any co major construction project. And as I said, um, I think that the question also remains on whether or not this farm will have the social license to operate, whether or not 
Um, there will be a market, whether people want to buy octopus created and produced in this farm, and also whether or not the people of, of Europe generally, and certainly Spain in particular, really want this kind of operation in their backyard. Mm. Yeah. When I So what I saw when I was there was I went to the proposed site, uh, the proposed location, and it's in a port where you've got passenger ferries, you know, going off to the neighboring islands and to mainland Spain, et cetera. Uh, you have oil, you know, you have BP, you have the big oil canisters everywhere. Um, and then just general kind of dock working industry. And then you have like a big kind of gap, basically, where uh, where this proposal is. But there is absolutely nothing happening on that site right now, because as you say, they can't actually, it's not actually legal for them to start building there. They don't actually have that land. They can't like continue with their with their dream of building this factory farm um but as far as i know what's happening in uh galicia in the north of spain where they've been doing the research is they have now closed the life cycle they've had some breakthrough and i was wondering if you knew like what it would you know if if they close the life cycle if they're able to reproduce and and bring octopuses successfully um, into the factory farm space. What would it like look like on the ground in Gran Canaria? Like, so it would be, you know, we know what a factory looks like. Like, do you have an image of how many octopuses we're talking about? Like what the kind of situation would be, where the waste would go, how they would be killed or slaughtered? Like what, what would it look like in reality, do you think? Well, I think what the questions you're asking are exactly the right ones, because what happened when we published our article, um, we actually wound up getting a lot of media coverage and, and all of that coverage that was talking about, you know, the case against octopus farming, the imagery were octopuses on coral reefs or in the middle of the ocean floating. And that fundamentally is not how this operation will look. You, I mean, we, nobody knows exactly what it will look like. Well, I assume the engineers who are trying to actually put the tanks together, but even that might be modified over time because again, this is sort of like the first CAFO for octopuses. And as you know, even with, with beef farms, they've changed drastically through the years. And so we could expect the same thing to happen there. It's, it's actually pretty terrible to imagine. But one thing we did was work with, um, some artists to create an octopus farm image. Um, they, these artists use dystopian algorithms to help make their work. And that seemed kind of the perfect metaphor um, for factory farming. And we know that they will be in relatively barren environments in, in tanks. So the, the images that I've seen are from experimental um, tanks in, in Australia, as well as from the farm in the quote farm ranch in Hawaii. And what you see there, I mean, first of all, in Hawaii, it's really a petting zoo. Um, it wasn't really a ranch. They were having people from cruise ships come. They were fondling the octopuses. It wasn't a kind of typical food production environment. You wouldn't sell that, you know, en masse to the marketplace. Um, but again, the environment was incredibly sterile. They had like one kind of concrete brick in with them they're trying to make money here you know so you can just square that you know peter godfrey smith is a co-author of mine and he's um an incredible octopus expert and really studies octopuses as 
another model for the um, origin of consciousness. He studies them in the wild, he's a, he observes them. And he and I, early on in this conversation, were sort of a little at odds because he thought potentially, and I don't want to misrepresent his views, but he thought potentially there was a way to have octopuses in mass production that wouldn't give them a totally terrible life. And I thought that there was sort of no way that they would ever be given a good life under the circumstances that capitalism demands, you know, a kind of constant reduction in costs and increase in profits. And, and lo and behold, you know, seeing the, the news coverage and the BBC had a really good article about the kind of slaughter that might be used at the farm and the kind of tanks that you see again, both, you know, sort of as, as prototypes, but also in the case of, of Hawaii, um, Peter was also aghast at, at what it looked like and thought, absolutely not. This is really not going to work out in the ways that, you know, one could imagine in that sort of best well-meaning system. So all of that to say, it's going to look very much like a factory farm, you know, it's going to be, uh, maybe potentially a little more sterile because it's aquatic animals and, you know, there's not going to be sort of hay everywhere. Um, but it's going to be a factory. It's going to look like, a, you know, a giant square building is sort of what I imagine. And the octopuses will be kept in basically solitary confinement, something that is very different from their life normally in the intertidal. They'll be fed, you know, uh, food that may or may not be their their preference they're they're kind of picky eaters so that's one thing that the um you know that the industry will have to cater to um and they'll be killed in in sort of ghastly ways and to be honest you know the more you think about it and even just talking about it now it's just we really do have to ask ourselves why we would do this in the 21st century to an animal that the world is in love with. I mean, my octopus teacher, it's the same species. It's octopus vulgaris. And you have it winning the Academy Award, winning a BAFTA, and then in the same breath, announcing that we're going to put it into mass production. I am I'm just baffled at how this is possible. And the truth is, I, I don't think it is. I, I'm so encouraged by how much resistance there is to this idea. And I really hope um, that Spain is not successful. Mm. And a, a few things you touched on there about like even trying to create um, a space. I, I want that the animal could arguably live a, a good life in. Obviously, the lives of, of um, chickens and cows, we can think these are more uh, sociable animals. So you can kind of, you know, farms make that excuse that, yes, they like to be in this kind of density, I think I read a piece recently about the the uh, pigs in the gas chambers and you know how they're slaughtered, and they were saying like, oh well, you know they like it going in there together um, into the gas chamber, like it's some kind of well they would prefer that because they're they're kind of pack animals, um, you know. And I know octopuses obviously lead a very different life, but I'm curious, you know, when we look at like aquaculture um, with fishes, it's usually in the ocean, you know, you can see the fish farms in the ocean, whereas this proposal is for building a space on land. Do you know why they they've decided to build a concrete, you know, construct for them versus trying to do it in the ocean? Yeah, well, I, um, 
I think that also that's a little bit of a misconception. Uh, the vast majority of aquaculture is produced inland um, in China in these kind of like carp and koi ponds that um, often are grown alongside grass, uh, sorry, rice. Um, and a kind of uh, more traditional system that has its own issues, uh, especially with regards to methane. But um, but certainly, as you point out, in the West, we've gotten really used to, I think, images of farm salmon, farm sea bream, farm sea bass. That's what's all over the Mediterranean right now in net pens swimming around. But, you know, the octopuses, especially vulgaris, this is an intertidal species. It's a it lives in caves and the bottom and it's not swimming around in some circle. So that that sort of net pen idea would never work. And then they would have to sort of colonize the intertidal to to create farms and i think that's sort of just out of the question in terms of the competing other uses it may be out of the question in terms of the octopus's ability to escape in those conditions as well so i think they've been following more the aquarium model and a lot of what we know of course from octopuses in captivity is from uh, being kept in aquaria and then these experimental you know places and um in both the industry as well as places like Vigo in Spain um, that are linked to universities. So, um, so yeah, an octopus farm is going to look more like maybe uh, the pig factory, you know, that that China built uh, that I think is really sort of next level in terms of the factory component of factory farming. And that will be, you know, sort of octopuses will leapfrog that idea of sort of keeping them in the inner title in these small ways or or trying to sort of um keep them in something semi-wild and go straight to that really intense factory model there's a couple of things that i would like to touch on off the back of that um one is you keep kind of mentioning all of these barriers to farming this animal, like everything from the, where they choose to live, where they choose to eat, like how they, you know, how we have to construct like these individual units. Uh, you know, I understand that's obviously to stop them cannibalizing each other and other other things that we haven't quite touched on yet. But I, as far as I know, this is the first uh, species that has taken, you know, it's over 20 to 30 years that they've been trying to factory farm this animal. Um, and as far as I know, that's like the longest it's taken for us to be able to to try and get an animal, you know, or what, what it close the life cycle to get an animal from, you know, egg to, or, you know, whatever, from, from, from young to actual viable product at the end. Um, is that your understanding too? Like, is this the first time that's happened? Or like, why, why then are we, <laughs> are we doing it? So I think there's kind of two questions there. One is, so why are we doing it? Why do we work so hard to get to this point? And the other one is is a sort of more empirical question about, um, well, I think they're both empirical, but is this indeed the longest it's taken? And I, so I guess to the first point, there's always been this fa fascination with aquaculture, I mean, sorry, with octopuses. And I think aquaculture was a way to work on those animals and get funding for it. If you look at the research, so much is about aquaculture because I think they could sort of sell it to the government on the grounds that this would ultimately be a, a moneymaker. Um, and that's why we're doing it. I mean, octopuses, I think two real reasons. One are a luxury product that get a lot of money and relative to other aquatic animals. So that already is, you know, a win from the industry point of view. And then that they, um, 
you know, they max out at about two years. And so that's a really fast growing species. I mean, you're talking about high value in a very short period of time. So they're looking, you know, the industry loves things that you can get to market in less than a year. Because again, that capital, short-term gains, and all the ways in which our, our system favors that kind of model. So I think octopuses suit that model as well. Um, but they do have these major, um, these major impacts. They're carnivores. They're not even omnivores. And they're carnivores. And so they do put more pressure on the oceans because we have to catch things to feed to them. You're never going to get an octopus on a soy diet. And then if you did, by some... I don't know, CRISPR technology, you'd have to deforest the Amazon to grow the soy. So it, you know, it just doesn't make sense um, as we know from working in the food system. But then there's this question of, you know, is has any animal taken longer? And I guess I find really interesting salmon farming because it wasn't like consumers were like, we want salmon, we want salmon. You know, if you look at the conditions for why salmon farming got off the ground, it's because there was already this hatchery technology in place that we had created for decades, you know, figuring out how to have hatcheries to then release these fish into the wild. So we had already, for salmon farming, could build off of that hatchery research. And in addition to that, you know, salmon are anadromous and they are born in streams and then travel to the ocean. Then they come back to the stream to die and spawn. And because they're born in freshwater streams they're, where, that are very nutrient poor, they come with this really big egg sac, uh, egg yolk, um, yolk sac, sorry, I'm confusing all my eggs. So salmon are born in, in freshwater and they come with a large yolk sac and that allows them to have nutrients on their way to the ocean and it also helps keep them alive and they come out sort of more robust right then i don't know if you've ever seen larval swordfish i've had the pleasure of seeing some on a dive in hawaii and they're like the most delicate tiny it's a miracle i don't understand how it all works and and neither do we we don't have we don't have a system in place that can close the life cycle on swordfish. We don't have it yet for tuna, and we didn't have it for years for octopus because they were very much, again, the same. Um, they're very delicate in those early in those early days, and so I don't. I guess I'm I'm only saying that I I don't know that I would say no other species took as long. If I think about salmon, I really feel like the industry benefited again from from decades of hatchery work and technology that I wouldn't discount. That, yeah, that's fascinating. Thanks for shining some light on that for me. I wasn't aware of, of, of all of that. Um, one of the things that strikes me with what you're talking about is this, like there wasn't this demand for, for people shouting for salmon. Like, is there that demand for people shouting for octopuses? And if so, where is that demand coming from? Well, as you may know, Spain is a huge consumer of octopuses um, and Europe generally um, and Japan and the United States and potentially China. It's just the same batch of luxury consumers we're very used to. And I've really, again, from studying fish as food in an age of globalization, title of my PhD, I really started to question this idea that this was about consumer demand because I had seen over and over again, as with farmed salmon, as with Chilean sea bass, which is actually Patagonian toothfish, it's in Antarctica, 
you know, one guy basically helped get demand, create demand for this. Nobody wanted Patagonian toothfish. That's no one had tried it. No one had eaten it. This was not a consumer driven fishery, but he introduced it into high end restaurants in New York City. And because they're very slow growing, I mean, they really look more like mammals in terms of their life history than like fish. They have this and they live in in dark, deep, cold uh, environments. They have this really apparently fatty flesh that is difficult to burn. So he kind of sold it to the marketplace, this guy Lee Lance in the late 70s. He sold it to the marketplace as, you know, the kind of fish that you can't you can't overcook. And he got the demand to increase. I mean, through through getting to the specific chefs in the same way you can do with octopuses, in the same way you can do with meat. You you get a contract, right, with with all the high-end seafood restaurants. Or if you're meat and dairy, you get a contract for milk at the schools. They're able to create demand. Um, they're not responding to it. They're, they're really um, in charge of the marketplace. And I have no doubt that they'll be able to expand the market for octopuses because as they note in their own literature, there is rising demand for exotic meats that they can easily create. Uh, they can sort of get into markets, cruise ships, right? That are trying to serve something different, something you've never had before. And so now you can have your grilled octopus tentacles and the aquaculture will make that a more um, predictable market than capture fisheries, which are just, you know, they're relying on nature and they're subject to environmental fluxes. And aquaculture is more likely to provide a steady stream of, of flesh than the capture. So fascinating. Like I, I've been traveling to the Canary Islands where the Grand Canaria is for, for many years. And it's in these last kind of couple of trips, maybe in the last like eight months or so, I've noticed so much more octopus consumption, like just in the normal cafes and stuff. And I've actually noticed advertisement for octopus tapas in the airports for the very first time and actually on the in-flight magazines, you know, and that's the first time I've ever seen like octopuses advertised in that way um, to the tourists, which is you feel at odds because like you mentioned, my octopus teacher, you feel, you know, these islands appeal to like, you know, British tourists, um, like other European countries who aren't normally known for consuming um, octopus. And yet we're being kind of plowed with octopus, you know, octopus tapas ideas. Um, there are a few like reasons that I wanted to to tackle that the company Nueva Pesconova is arguing um, that they, the reasons why they think that farming octopuses is a really great idea. Uh, there's three that I wanted to just kind of get your quick take on. Um, so the first one is solving the nutrition crisis. So they argue that uh, we need to farm octopuses to feed people nutrient rich food. Uh, that was one of their arguments in their paper. So what do you think about that? So I think you already um, answered this question when you talked about the target audience, you know, visitors to Canaria, people in airports, people on airplanes, are these people that were actually really worried about their nutrition? And that is something the aquaculture industry has done for decades. And I think it is immoral 
because they act like it's about food security, but then to their investors, they tell them it's about luxury markets and exotic rising demand for meat and demand for exotic meats. And they, they frame it in a completely different way. It's not about feeding the world. It's about feeding rich people who have plenty of options when it comes to nutrition. And then the next argument um, they have is sustainability. So I know that there's um, the Pescanova has been in receipt of a grant. They argue um, that farming octopuses will relieve the pressure on wild octopuses. That was one of the reasons they got this grant. Um, is, do you think that's the case? Evidence doesn't bear out. And in fact, when we see the rise of farm salmon, introduced into the marketplace, who, by the way, said the exact same thing, that this will relieve pressure on wild salmon. We saw the catches for wild salmon go up because the price went down for salmon with all the increased supply. So fishermen had to catch more salmon to make the same amount of money that they had been making previously. And studies of aquaculture as a whole and studies we've done um, species by species really don't bear out to show any evidence in favor of that argument. Substitution is a nice idea, it can occur, but often it has to occur with other kind of integrated strategies, right? If the government said, Spain, if Spain said, we're going to remove our bottom trawling subsidies and we're going to put them into octopus farming, that might actually have an effect. But that's not what's happening. They're just adding an additional product to the marketplace. So in fact, we see very, very little examples of any of in the food system of any animal production substituting for other animal production. You know, you have this kind of even leveling off right now of milk. And the increase in demand for milk is for nut milks, at least in the United States. But it's not that regular milk has gone away. It's just that all the growth is being is being seen for the, the nut milks, the oats, soy, coconut, whatever. Um, and so we're not seeing this kind of overall reduction in meat consumption or capture fisheries consumption that we know is necessary to become a more sustainable food system. On top of that, octopuses, as I say, will put additional pressure on capture fisheries. They may not put additional pressure on capture octopuses. They may though, because if they drive the price down again, the fishermen may decide to fish more octopuses out of the intertidal zone. But no doubt about it, we have to catch more fish from the ocean to feed to the farmed octopuses. This is, this is not immoral, this is just wrong, factually wrong. Yeah, um, and Again, we don't know what they're going to be doing with the waste of the octopus farm, this particular farm, um, like how they're going to be getting rid of what would be a, a you know ammonia-rich waste coming out of these millions of octopuses. Um, the other argument is, of course, around... Into, Go ahead. Well, I'm putting it into sensitive marine environments that are used by a lot of tourists. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, and then the the other argument that they have is jobs. So the argument that it will create jobs, which obviously helps boost the economy. Do you have any insight into that? Always, always about the jobs. Yet 
so little discussion of, you know, secretaries losing their jobs over the rise of the computer. So little discussion about supermarket cashiers losing their jobs over the rise of electronic checkouts. You see almost always in extractive industries, the argument come back to jobs. Oil and gas does this all the time. Coal, of course. Um, jobs are always going to be an issue. We need to create work that is meaningful for people. We might even consider things like universal basic income as possible solutions to this jobs crisis. We do not, it, building more prisons would create jobs. This is not something to justify social behavior on. We can create jobs in all, anything we do, anything we subsidize, any new venture will create jobs. It may also destroy jobs. I, I am really, um, again, sort of tired of this argument. It comes straight out of PR and basically crisis management that they tell the industry, here, say this, it'll create jobs, it'll offer sustainability, uh, it'll feed the world. You know, these are just things that the food industry says, the beef and meat and dairy says it, uh, chicken farmers say it everywhere because they're all facing particular sustainability challenges and, and threats to the social license to operate for, for both the questions of, of environmental degradation and climate change, but also because of the moral issues. Do you have a sense of like the scientific community and veterinarians, et cetera? Like, is there a consensus amongst these experts that farming octopuses is, is, uh, is a good idea or a bad idea? To be clear, it's not a very large community of people that have worked directly on octopus aquaculture. So if you're working in octopus aquaculture, you agree with it. You know, there's some kind of it's it's rare to I haven't found anyone who said, you know, I regret it. I want to be on on the other side. But then there are a bunch of people. I mean, we had a letter that went out soon after our article was published to Animal Sentience. Um, just showing, you know, support within our own network of all university scholars all around the world. We got over 100 signatures, I think, in a week. Um, of people who are not directly engaged on the issue of octopus farming, because again, it's not a very big, it's not a very big enterprise at the moment, but it's uh, lawyers, ecologists, um, sociologists, you know, just people who study the world in which we work and operate and uh, who were all opposed to octopus farming. And I think on balance, the vast majority of people are opposed octopus farming. The problem is that, you know, you only need a handful of people with access to capital and power to create an octopus farm. And so I, I really would feel great if this was put to a democratic decision. I think people's hearts and minds are in what I would call the right place on this. Um, it's just that that unfortunately isn't the way that things work at the moment, as we see from, you know, chat GPT, like as if we all got to have a vote about whether or not that technology was released into the world. Yeah, and I, I find it particularly odd right now because we're in this moment, like obviously at Sentient Media, we track, you know, the media trends, we track what's 
what Google searches are happening around animals, et cetera, to see what the general public and researchers and journalists are, are asking questions on. And over the last maybe eight to 12 months, maybe slightly longer than that, we've seen an uptick in people asking questions about how smart certain animals are. Do certain animals, you know, do they qualify as sentient? You know, uh, what are the smartest animals? What are the most intelligent animals? Um, and obviously, you know, we're, we're octopuses will be featured in these kind of lists um, and octopuses and cephalopods. Have, like we've in Europe, we've marked that they're sentient or in England, we've marked that they are sentient beings. Lobsters aren't allowed to be boiled alive anymore in, in England. Um, like it feels to me like it's at such a disconnect to what the general trend that we're seeing is that people are accepting sentience of of animals that we eat traditionally that it, it just seems like a like a crazy idea to be doubling down on what the general consensus would say is is an unsustainable practice that's not only unsustainable for the environment but unsustainable in the sense of how we treat sentient beings um who we share the planet with yeah, and what you just described squares with some recent work that my colleague Jam Dale Jamison and I um, just completed along with with, with others, um, looking at the kind of role of, of research into agency, sentience, and cognition, and its relationship to animal protection. And so what we overall find is that this kind of research is necessary, but not sufficient for production, for, for protection, sorry. And there's all sorts of interesting reasons for that, but there's no doubt, as you say, that the the kind of the global revolution that happened for whales was facilitated by research that showed they were sentient, intelligent, caring, highly social, could had dialects, right, saying to one another. These are hugely important findings. But there were a lot of other really important aspects and there were advocates, there were really visible scientists, you know, that sort of had the public's trust and, and uh, attention. And there were really important people within the government that were willing to make legislation. So one thing that I'm seeing that I'm really hopeful about is some precautionary legislation being introduced. There were two ambitious lawyers, animal animal lawyers in Washington state that introduced precautionary legislation to prevent any farming or sale of farmed octopuses in the state. That actually passed through the first round of committee and now it has to go on and upward. So it's not official yet, but it's really promising. And likewise, there was a citizen bill introduced uh, sponsored by Elizabeth May, British Columbia MP in Canada. Uh, that will be have to be discussed at Parliament about a, a similar ban in Canada as a whole, a federal ban. And this kind of work is really promising, I think really encouraging, because it, it mirrors what I was interested in, why I wrote the article was like, what if we could stop this before it started? Instead of, you know, I work also on climate change, I work also on, on meat and dairy production, and it is, as I'm sure you feel often, a very, very uphill battle. You're talking about major infrastructure, major government investments, huge amounts of subsidies, all that you have to kind of undo 
if we're going to change the way we live. Here, we are still at this crossroads where we can decide whether or not this industry gets off the ground. And I feel like this is just a really critical moment and there could be a lot of action that could prevent us from being in the position that we are with meat and dairy, you know, 50 years after, 70 years after CAFOs were invented. Um, let's spare the future generations that, that pain and prevent this before it starts. And I, I feel like that is uh, also a, a kind of promising way to think and people could feel sort of very good. You know, there, we all have to decide every day, like, what am I going to work on? What should I invest in? What should I research or advocate for or call my representative about? And I really am committed to this octopus farming question because I think it's a test case for the what we could do then for other other animals moving forward. You know, we're seeing the rapid domestication of marine species. It's not just octopuses. And we sort of need to, to step back and take a look at the system and put the brakes on. And octopuses might be the kind of, you know, the sentinel species for that. That's a really good place, I think, to to end this conversation and close it out. I think that that's that level of hope, uh, I have it too, especially being on the ground and seeing that there is nothing actually built there yet uh, and seeing some of the activists on the ground who are really working tirelessly to try and raise awareness just in that local vicinity and then that kind of global movement across, well, not global, but the European-wide movement. Um, I guess I would have like one kind of final question um, to, to just follow off the back of these protests and things that have been going on. Like, it, where would you recommend people turn to, people who feel upset or who want to help fight this and stop it from, from becoming reality? Um, is there anywhere you would, you would direct them to? Absolutely. So Compassion and World Farming launched the first, uh, you know, recipe for disaster campaign. They wrote uh, the letter actually to the governor of Hawaii. They've been really engaged on this issue and um, and really successful so far. So I would join their their group and I would would donate money to them. Likewise, you know, there are a bunch of really great um, European groups working on the issue, including yours, um, that I think, you know, where, wherever, whichever one that you identify most with the kind of actions that they're taking, um, their kind of theory of change would be, would be something, it would be wonderful. Join, join in the fight, you know, send letters to, to your MP, send letters to Brussels. Um, and Certainly, you know, if you if you like what Compassion does, if you like what Sentient Media does, definitely consider joining. I um, have been really heartened by the the activities of of groups. And, you know, the other thing that I would love to see is push environmental groups into this space, because this isn't just a question about animal sentience. It really does impact the, the environment. And so groups like Oceana, groups like WWF, they really should be on board in this conversation and they should be fighting for this too. And they have a lot of power within the European Parliament as well. So I would love to see those groups get more involved. Thank you so much for your time and for all you are doing to help stop this, this particular farm and hopefully other um, things from, be from being built. Thank you for the work you do.